Welcome to Ignite Ministries. This is Brent Kelly. I pray that these teachings will take you much deeper into an understanding of sonship and the finished work of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening. So this is a message that I've, I've preached here a little while ago. And uh, it's probably been about a year since I preached it. But I, th- I think in this season, I did a video live a couple days ago, and it was how to overcome adversity, how to stand in the middle of adversity. And I think everyone here is dealing with some level of adversity in their life, <laughs> meaning that the word Satan, which is adversary or to resist, how many of you feel like? There's areas in your life where there's, a, there's an adversary, there's someone that's trying to get you to resist the glory of God that he so desires to pour on your life. No matter what you're dealing with, if you're dealing with sickness, if you're dealing with depression, fear, anxiety, nightmares, whatever it is, the enemy comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. And... The way in which he does that, I often say that he's, he's the, the best identity theft, better than anyone in this world, because his primary goal is to steal your identity. If he can steal your identity, he can kill the flesh. What, what does James say? He says, you're only tempted upon the desires of your Here we, we're muted. There we go. When he steals, or you're only tempted upon the desires of your heart. When you have entertained those desires, they become sin. And sin leads to what? Death. Sin leads to death. And so when the enemy comes to steal your identity, and if he can steal it, which means he begins to convince you of what you're not instead of who you are, then he can get you to entertain sin that leads to death. And so there's three positions of the believer, and we're going to talk about those. I don't know if we'll get into every single one of them. You might have a series. We'll see. We'll see. But this really began to transform my way of thinking. You know, and, and I always tell people the three positions of the believer, there is also... Where this is supposed to be who we are all the time has become three positions of the church. And I'll talk about that too. Um, because the church has been divided into these three positions. But I'll read the first position is Ephesians 2.6. And we were raised up together and made to sit together in heavenly places. So how many of you understand your first position is that you are seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places? You know, when I was, uh, I would say probably around 13, 14 years old, my pastor preached a message called your attitude or your altitude dictates your attitude. Your altitude dictates your attitude, meaning depending on my position is going to change how I'm viewing things is going to change my daily attitude. If I am seeing myself from being positioned in Jesus in heavenly places, on my position, my eyes are coming through the lens of I am complete, whole, righteous. How many of you know if you're seated in heavenly places, you're holy, you're righteous, you're above judgment? As he is, so are you in this world. That's the beauty of this scripture, I am seated in Christ Jesus. And so as long as I'm seated in him and I realize I'm seated in him, all of a sudden my perspective is going to have a different altitude. I'm not looking through the eyes of my mind. I'm seeing through the eyes of my heart. (laughs) I'm not looking through these fleshly eyes, but I'm seeing through the spirit. 
And if I'm seeing through the spirit, it's going to change the way I respond to what the enemy is doing in my life. It comes from, we can see this consistently in David. King David would write a Psalms and he would say, Lord, their arrows are pointed toward me. Their spears are about to pin me against the wall. What, where are you, Jesus? How many of you know David was looking at that moment through the perspective of the heart or through the flesh instead of heavenly perspective? And then all of a sudden, David would begin to change the way he viewed things as he would get in and begin to play before the Lord, before the presence, and he would begin to change his perspective. And then all of a sudden, it went from, God, they're here to destroy me, to now you are my tower, my refuge, my strength, my deliverer. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord and forget not his benefits. He began to change his perspective as he changed his altitude. (laughs) He saw himself different as he began to enter into the Lord, and he saw the Lord's perspective over his life and not through the flesh. And we see this all throughout Scripture, where you can have Daniel say, throw me into the lion's den. (laughs) How can a man say, throw me into the lion's I'll go. How can you do that? Because his perspective was looking through the lens of heaven instead of the hell that was about to be around him. How can the the three Hebrew boys get thrown in a fiery furnace and say, if we die, God is good. If we live, God is good. Because their perspective wasn't coming through what they could see in their own eyes. It was coming from a heavenly perspective. You know, there was a thing that you would always see in Psalms and that the, the, the Hebrews would always say, God is good all the time. God is good. God is good. He is foremost good. <laughs> and if we had that perspective that God is good and we truly believed God was good, it would change how we viewed everything around us. So this seated position is you could almost go and you could write under seated, you could put grace. Grace. I'll just run, what I'm gonna do real quick, I'll just run through the three positions and then I'll come back and I'll show you something. So we'll look at the second position is Ephesians 4.1. I therefore the positioner, or the, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So the first position is I'm seated. The second position, I am walking. And then the third position, I'll read real quick. And that is Ephesians 6, 3. And it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. So you have three positions. I'm seated in Christ. I'm walking worthy of the calling and I'm standing in the, in the evil that's surrounding me, in the persecution, in the opposition, whatever's surrounding me, I stand in the middle of it. Now, the amazing thing is, is we're supposed to be all three positions at all times. You're not one position and then you change position because you can't walk worthy of the calling if you're not seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You can't stand in the day of evil if you're not seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You can't stand in evil if you're not walking worthy of the calling. All three of these positions are the one position of the believer. Now, this is changed often within coming, becoming three positions of the church. So seated, I'm seated in heavenly places is, a, is an identity mindset. Because you, unless you believe that you've been redeemed, sanctified, made whole, perfected, you will not see yourself seated in Jesus. So the seated, I often put grace underneath it. The walking worthy of the calling, I walk what? By faith, not by sight. So the walking could easily, you could put faith underneath the walking. And then the standing, when I've done all two stand, stand with the whole armor of God, 
You could put intercession. Intercession underneath it. Because how do, you, how do we stand in darkness? We intercede with the Father. We pray, we stand, and we intercede. So, so you've got the three positions that we as believers are supposed to be, that we as the church are supposed to be, but the church has broken off into three separate positions. You have the grace movement. You have the word of faith movement. And you have the prayer and intercessory movement. (laughs) And that's what we've divided ourselves as the church. And so how many of you have been in one of those camps at one point in a church where it feels like the church was all focused on intercessory and prayer? And then you had a church that felt like it was all focused on grace. And then you had a church that was all focused on faith or word of faith or standing in faith. And it was all about what you did. How many, how many, I've been in probably about all three. I've been in a church that really kind of focused on all three, you know. And the problem with that is, is like I said, grace, faith, intercession. You need all three of those in your life. You need every bit of that in your life. If hell's coming against you, you can intercede all you want to, but if you do not have the identity that I am seated in heavenly places, I don't pray from a place of fear. I pray from a place of faith. I pray from a place of identity and truth. Otherwise, you know what happens, you get sick, and what happens is, is you, you're praying from a place of fear. You're not seeing the finished work of Jesus Christ. How many of you know that if you're seated in Jesus, you're the finished work of Jesus Christ? He's finished you. There's no way you could get into him if you weren't finished. You're not this thing moving toward this goal line in the spirit. Your spirit has been whole and perfected in Christ Jesus. That's why I always read 1 John chapter 3 when it says those who are born of God do not sin. Your spirit cannot sin against God. And the beauty of that is that if my spirit can't sin against God and I see myself abiding, meaning seated in him. People ask me, what is abiding? What is abiding? Ephesians 2.6. It's living in the revelation that I am seated in Christ Jesus. That there is nothing separating me from him. This filters in to everything else. Without this place right here, you're going to live by works. And it's all going to be about your faith. It's all going to be about your works, or you're going to be in a place of intercession where you're always praying for God to move. See, I'm to walk worthy of the calling. I'm to walk by faith, not by sight. It's not what I'm seeing out of my eyes. How many of you feel like when you're in adversity, you feel like you're grabbing a hold of one of these, but it's a struggle at time to grab all three of them? to be seated, to walk. Because if I'm seated in him, guess what? He's going to tell me to do something. How many of you know that? If I'm living in an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm going to hear his voice. Some people tell me, I just, I'm praying and I'm trying to walk, but it's like the blind leading the blind. They have not heard from God. Have you ever felt like that? You, you haven't heard anything from God. You're walking around and you're just praying. You're interceding. And it comes to this point where you feel like you're begging God all the time. God, I just don't hear you. God, I just, what, where are you? God, God, God. But you're not seated in him. Because this place right here changes how you do these right here it changes how you pray otherwise you find yourself with sickness trying to ask God to heal sickness instead of realizing that you are seated in Christ and he's given you authority over sickness when you come up to a mountain you find yourself face to face with the mountain in your life this thing that will not move 
If you don't find yourself seated in him, you're going to pray from a place of begging God, please move the mountain. God did not say, Jesus did not say, pray to God to move the mountain. He said, speak to the mountain, be thou removed. But how many times in prayer and intercession do you see people, God, remove this mountain. God, move this sickness. God, move this thing that is choking our finances. God, we need you to move. And if you're not positioned and seated in Christ Jesus, you're going to pray from that way. And you're going to find that your faith and your intercession and prayer are not rooted in Christ Jesus. Because when you're seated in him, it says, whatsoever things you desire when you pray. How many of you have felt like going in and you, you've got a list of things, almost demands for God, and you go into a place of prayer, but all of a sudden you feel raptured up into his presence like never before. You become suddenly aware of him like you haven't felt in a while, and then all of a sudden your prayers begin to change. <laughs> You walked in with a list of complaints and Jesus walked in the room and you're suddenly aware of the king and those complaints grow faintly dim in the light of his glory. All those fleshly things just don't seem to exist right now. I just don't feel that anymore. That's gone. And then all of a sudden you have these desires begin to come out of your spirit And you hear the Lord say, ask me, ask me. And then all of a sudden they begin to come out of you and you find that you have a faith to grab a hold of those things and walk in those things like never before. And you begin to see those things manifest in your life. We've got to have every single one of these positions in our life. He came as grace and truth, and he came as a person that we're to be seated inside of. Abide in me, and I'll abide in you, and you will bear much, much fruit. You know, we live in a culture right now. We sing a song, How He Loves Us. Now, I can probably guarantee that as we sing this song, some of you might have gotten a tear in your eye. You might have wept. But the reality is, is that revelation has set, you know, came into your life about that much. Because if we truly were aware of how much he loved us, if we had a true revelation of who he was, we would just be a puddle on the floor. We wouldn't have to, I wouldn't have to get up here and preach anything. We would have had church and we would have still been having church laid out on the ground under the weight of his glory because we would be walking in a revelation of how much he loves us. But because we're not seated in the heavenly places, we will try to find his love through what we can do in our walk or how much we can intercede and pray. And the problem with this is most Christians are living their life trying to discover the love of God through their circumstances instead of revelation and truth. Well, I just feel like I'm in a harsh season and I don't know when it's going to go away and I don't know how long I'm going to wander in this season. I tell you, your season comes abruptly to an end when you change the way you think. Like I said... Times and seasons are not regulated by clocks and calendars. (laughs) We look at, we have four seasons. We have a harvest season. We have a planting season. We have a growing season. We have a winter season. And we think that these are, these are governed by times and calendars and days. And on this earth, there is a seed time and harvest that God has put into order since the beginning of time. But in the spiritual realm, Clocks don't regulate it. Days don't regulate it. Revelation and truth regulate the season that you're in. You can go from season to season to season to season. It doesn't, I, I, I used to tell people you can grow a year in a day or a day in a year. 
It's not regulated by school learning and sitting down in a chair and sitting under revelation and revelation and revelation. Most of the time, that just makes you a very obese Christian. You're just consuming, 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 but you're not burning the energy of walking the walk according to the faith. You're not in action. So if I'm in a place of being seated in him, how many of you know God's going to speak to me? He's going to tell me to do something. So now I have a mission. God says, I want you to go and I want you to build this. I want you to do this. Then guess what? I walk in that seated position according to the calling. Worthy of the calling. He's given me a mission. I walk it out. And how many of you know as I walk it out, I'm going to come under opposition? The evil day is going to surround me. People are going to come and try to tear down what you're building. Some people are going to come into your marriage and try to tear apart your marriage. Well, I felt, I heard the Lord say, marry this person. And you married them. You, you had a mission. God said, marry this person. So I married them. And now I'm trying to walk worthy of the calling. And all of a sudden, the enemy comes. He comes to resist Help to resist the presence of God from moving into my marriage. So how do I stand in that evil day when things aren't aligning up, when truth isn't aligning up like the Lord spoke to me when I was seated in him? I stand. I stand. I don't move. I don't run. I walk worthy of the calling. And I stand in the midst of chaos and confusion, knowing I'm seated in him. (laughs) When hell comes around me, I'm seated in him. You mean if they throw you in a den of lions, I'm seated in him. You mean if they throw you in a fiery furnace, I'm seated in him. You mean like Paul, if they drag you out of the city limits and stone you, I'm seated in him. It does not change the position of my heart. I am clothed in Jesus Christ because as he is in heaven, so am I in this world. Ephesians 6 is talking about putting on the whole armor of God. He says, put on the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness. Put truth around your loins. Put the peace that passes all understanding on your feet. Pick up the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit. That's Jesus' truth, the sword of the Spirit. The breastplate of righteousness is Jesus. The helmet of salvation is Jesus. Your feet are shod with Jesus. Your loins are girded with Jesus. What he's saying is put on Jesus. And you cannot put on Jesus in prayer and intercessory if you do not see yourself whole, complete, sanctified, righteous. As he is, so am I in this world. You'll war within yourself. A divided man will not stand. He'll be tossed to and fro like waves, driven by the waves, and whatever he asks will hit a miss. You will pray from a place of fear. You will pray out of a place like David. Come on, Jesus. You told me to go here. You told me to occupy this land. You told me to walk here. And then all of a sudden, the enemy has come out. They're all around me. What am I supposed to do? You will pray from that place. Instead of the place, you know what? It's all good. They might need a few more because I've got Jesus in me. And I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter what hell comes against me. You can never kill me, devil. I think we don't understand that revelation. Do you understand if you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the devil can't kill you? You've already died. You will live forever. Do we understand the salvation gospel? You will live forever. So what does the enemy want to do? He wants to steal the glory of God from manifesting in your life right now. He wants to steal the kingdom of heaven from coming and manifesting in your life right now. 
And if you don't stand seated in him, walking what he's told you to walk out, you will find yourself in a place of chaos and confusion, depression, fear, anxiety, and you will always be reaching out from person to person. Will you pray for me? Will you lay hands on me? Will you help me? I don't know where I am. I don't know who I am. So you have to know you're seated in him. So what all does that entail? I'm seated. I'm seated. The moment you got saved, you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. That's who you are. You're not trying to go up and dig the curses and the things, the sins of the third and fourth generation because you know why it says all the promises of God are or all the, all the uh, curses of the law are broken and all the promises of God are yes and amen. You know the amazing thing about a curse is? In order for a curse to work, you have to believe it. That's how curses work. See, that's why curses are so used by the enemy. To, I've had people give me word curses. You'll never be this. And it's absolutely contrary to the word of God. And here's the deal. I can believe the curse, which takes me into the spiraling season of walking around the wilderness, believing what they say about me instead of what Christ did for me. Yeah, and what Christ says about me. And all of a sudden, I find myself walking in a wilderness for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, broken, thinking that my daddy's sins and my grandfather's sins and all this stuff is chasing me down. But what does this say? All the curses of the law are broken and all the promises of God are yes and amen. Yes and amen. So you've got to throw off some belief systems. Now there's a lot of Christians that will come into your life and they'll have good Good intention, good heart, and different things like that. And they'll start pointing out things you didn't even know what was wrong with you. And they'll say, I see this issue and this issue, and this is stemming from this relationship, and this is stemming from that relationship. And next thing you know, you start to believe what they're speaking over what he did and where you're seated. Why don't you ask Holy Spirit? You're seated in him. Why don't you ask Jesus? What does he say? See, but that's where it gets difficult because we are trying to climb into the seat. We're trying to finish what Jesus already did. And so we have this issue of feeling worthy in relationship to hear his voice. Well, I just don't hear his voice. Well, why? Why don't you hear his voice? Why are you believing that? Who told you you couldn't hear his voice? We're in theology. Does it say you can't hear the voice of God that only certain people can? Because he takes the most unqualified people and he qualifies them. He takes the most broken, shattered, fearful people and he qualifies them. So if Paul can sit there and say, I am the chiefest of sinners, could you imagine the heartache of Paul? Could you imagine going into a city and you're preaching, you look out and somewhere in the crowd is the parents of a kid that you took out and stoned because he believed? Could you imagine preaching in Jerusalem and next thing you know, Stephen's family's there? How would that feel? As you held the coats of those who stoned him. As you went to pursue and bring people in front of a mob under the name of Judaism and the Sanhedrin. And he calls himself the chief of sinners. He, he killed God's most beautiful. <laughs> so I want you to understand what is disqualifying you from hearing his voice. What is saying you're not worthy of him? And you need to cast down that lie because that lie is changing your altitude. 
That lie is keeping you held captive in this body and not seeing yourself through the spirit of God. Who is it that are the sons of God? Those who walk by the spirit are the sons of God. We are to live by the spirit, not of the flesh. Condemnation, word curses, fear, anxiety, unworthiness, shame, live in condemnation. It grows. It's like stagnant water in the heat. It just grows and it begins to multiply. But it says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you truly believe you're in Christ Jesus? That you've come out of the grave. And if you can say with all certainty, I am saved. Then that salvation goes more further and more excellent than getting to heaven one day. It's about you right now experiencing salvation. Do you have salvation? Meaning all the curses are broken off of you. You don't have to go the next five years dealing with curses. You don't have to go the next five years because you had a family member that was in the Masons. Guess what? I had a grandfather that was in the Masons. I've never had prayer to remove that bloodline. I never had prayer to get that out of my life, to go shovel up the manure that was in someone else's life and try to find it mine. I don't have to do that. Why? Because I died. (laughs) I died. I'm no longer born of my grandfather. I'm born of Jesus Christ. I'm not born of his substance abuse. His beating and all the other stuff that he did as he beat my my uncle and ran him out of the house and he drank himself almost to death and all these different things and he joined the Masons. I don't have to live by that. It doesn't matter what he did. Today is the day the Lord has made and I will rejoice and be glad in it. Today is the day of salvation. And if you're constantly going back and trying to hunt down what somebody else did, I'm more interested in what you are doing. What are you thinking? You think God's so shallow that he's going to hold that over you? Because you were born in to that bloodline? No. And that type of thinking only produces people that are running around trying to look at their own DNA instead of looking at Jesus' DNA. There's something beautiful about I had a blood transfusion. I had a blood transfusion. Oh, all things have passed away, except your grandfather's alcoholism and the fact that he dabbled in the Masons. But everything else was cut off. Everything else. Have you ever seen someone dead? They're dead. (laughs) Every cell, their blood's gone. Like it's died. The cells in their blood is dead. You died when you received Jesus Christ into your heart. And you were risen into his likeness. If I am constantly worried about what someone else a century ago did, or three generations ago did, or two generations ago did, I'm not going to live in victory. I'm not going to live in victory. We got to stop this type of behavior. Well, you don't know, but I, I've studied this. Are you free? That is a simple question. Are you free? I'm not going around looking for the devil under every rock. I don't have to. I don't have to go look for that. But I look at people. I see I have people all the time. They come and they start. They're, it's amazing. Well, I kicked my mother and my while I was in the womb and spirit of anger came on me and that's what they said. They had a vision of me doing that. Well, guess what? We all kicked our mother in the womb. And guess what? When you came out of the womb, you, were, you demanded food. You demanded someone change your diapers. Nobody had to teach any baby. I don't think anyone came out of the womb except John filled with the Holy Ghost. Guess what? All my children need salvation. None of them, you can't inherit the the Holy Spirit. You can't inherit salvation. 
All my kids need salvation. They need their own personal relationship and encounter with Jesus Christ. If not, we're all messed up. It's all in vain. So where does the power of God stop? Because somebody took a a $50 e-course and has a manual who's never tried to raise anybody from the dead, hasn't seen any healings really in their life, doesn't really walk in any type of manifest power of the Holy Spirit, never held accountable for what they say out of their mouth, aren't walking by the word of God, and I'm going to let that person dictate what my grandfather did to me or didn't do? We're trying to dig up something? Well, I was touched wrong. When I was six years old, cousin touched me. Let's deal with that. So now you're 45 years old. And that's your identity. Because that happened. You know who's telling you that's your identity? Sad thing is, it's supposed to be an easy answer. It's supposed to be the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But the problem is, it's become your pastor, your cell group leader, your elders, your deacons, and all this other stuff. It's become church leadership. Well, you just need counseling. Oh, that's not what this gospel says. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation. That's what this says. That every curse of the law was broken. Doesn't matter what happened to you at five years old and six years old. If you're 45 and 50 still dealing with that stuff, you need to understand you are believing a lie. And you are enslaving yourself and your heart and your mind. And you're playing the part of a victim that keeps you from walking with the circumcision of Jesus Christ upon your heart. Because we can always grab somebody up here and we can let them tell a story. Well, you don't know what I've been through. I've been this and that and this and that. Well, okay, well, let me go grab somebody else. And they have a way worse story than you. So maybe they have the right to be victim today. Oh, but wait, I heard that this just happened to this person. Let's bring them up. No, they get the victim award today. Now, what does any of that do to the power of the gospel? It still kills and destroys. It still kills and destroys. So Paul comes up and says, I am the chief of sinners. How many of you believe Paul walked in freedom? How how can a, a girl in Europe be raped over 900 times in the sex slavery and trafficked, and the only thing she knows is there's this thing that comes out of her heart while she's being raped, and it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And the Lord's prayer comes out of her heart. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's the only thing she knows. And as she's raped again and again and again, she thinks that, during the whole process and somehow she gets rescued and she doesn't walk with the scarring of being raped and tormented for 500 years. Why? Because the gospel is real, but it has to be applied to your heart. You have to see yourself seated. And if you're going to see yourself seated, you can't see yourself as a victim. No victim can seat themselves in Jesus. Because if you play the victim, then you remove his cross, his shame, his clothes being ripped from his body, exposed on a cross, thorns pressed down into his skull, coming out of his eye socket, his flesh ripped from his back, nails going through his hands. You take all of that and you say, I'm the victim. Because at the end of his life, And at the beginning of his life, he had no sin. He knew not sin, but the righteousness of God. He walked perfect, not looking at the very people who were his accusers, 
The very people that strip the flesh from his ribcage, the very people that pierced him in the side, he looked at them never harboring in his heart bitterness, anger, resentment, but instead stood there and said, I forgive you. That's pretty perfect. Beaten beyond all measure and recognition And to call myself a victim for what I went through, to say that this has right to come through my genealogy and my bloodline, to say any of that removes the power of the blood of Jesus. We might as well stop singing. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood. We better stop talking about how it washes us white as snow. Because apparently the stain of sin is stronger than the stain of the blood of Jesus. And you can never seat yourself in him if you view yourself in that way. It will keep you from it. Why? Because the Satan has what? He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's giving you the identity of those who hurt you. He's given you the identity of your bloodline. He's given you the identity of your sin. And he has ingeniously taken the identity of Christ upon your heart and removed it. And only those who have an identity that know that they are able, what does Hebrews say? To go boldly, boldly before the throne room of grace. You have access to go boldly. Why? Because he says you're holy. He says you're righteous. He says you're worthy. And you can't boldly go to that throne room and seat yourself in Jesus Christ. Just get a picture of that right now. Get a picture of those cherubim around the throne room of God. Screaming, holy, holy, holy. And covering their eyes. They have to cover their eyes. And then let's look at the elders who cast their crown. And then us, who are we? That we are have access to boldly not crawl ourselves like the Vatican steps. But we can stand up and with boldness. Not just walk into the throne room, but walk right up to the mercy seat and seat ourselves with Jesus. Whoa. That's what this gospel says. That's what he says. He calls us brothers. (laughs) He says, you will be co-laborers with my glory. And he says, you're seated in me. We have boldness and we have access why what gives us that boldness what's the difference between us and isaiah (laughs) cleanse my lips before i die put a hot coal upon my lips i'm impure i'm unrighteous i can't stand here i will die boy a liar Isaiah would love to see us. Look at him. He gets to walk right up there. The angels are falling and screaming, holy, holy, holy. The elders are casting their crown, but there's something about us. We are redeemed. (laughs) As he is, so are we. We will judge angels. And we are called ministers of the flame. That's what seated means. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? That's what you inherited. Not what your daddy's daddy did. But what Jesus did. You inherited that. Ephesians chapter 1 says that we inherited God through Christ Jesus. 
Blessed be the God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That you would be holy and without blame before him in love. Say that. I'm holy and without blame before him in love. That's who you are. You're not in a process. There's not 12 steps. You don't need to go dip in the river seven times. You don't need to go walk and make a covenant with God between a bunch of carcasses. You don't have to go and... Give a, a goat and a, a ram and a, and a lamb and a, and a dove and a pigeon and you don't have to do all that? Why? Because we don't live by types and shadows. That's why. We get to walk firmly, boldly up to Jesus. My, my sister once said it best in the middle of a Bible study. She said, when a bride walks up to the groom and he pulls away the veil and kisses her, does she pull the veil back over her face? And that's what most Christians have done. They've had this moment where they are the bride of Christ. They have boldly walked up front. The wedding ceremony is going on and he removes the veil from our face and kisses us. And what we do as the church, we pull the veil right back over. We never behold him face to face. We only see him dimly through a glass. And that veil, that veil over our hearts is present and many and must be rent. Like I said, we're always praying, rent the heavens, God, rent the heavens, God, open up the heavens, let it rain. I say, rent the heart, rent the heart, rent the heart, open up the heart. Isn't it amazing? We had songs back in the 90s. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart that I may see you. And then we went into 2000s and it's, rent the heavens, let it rain, let it rain. It's like two different dispensations only within a few years. Two different theologies. One with an Old Testament mindset that we're praying for God to open the heavens instead of a New Testament mindset. Open up my heart that I may see you. Open up my heart that I may have the revelation that I am holy, blameless, and before you in love. That I may see you boldly face to face. That I have access to the king. I'm not groveling at your feet. I have boldness to come to you face to face. Isn't that what the children did? When they forbid the children, do not stop the children. They're interrupting our discipleship training right now. Have you ever seen a child? I'm, I'm surprised mine don't do it more often. Coming out of the classroom, just run up and jump on. We've seen Finley many times run straight down front. He's very much not aware of you guys and what's going on right now. All he's aware of is that I'm his dad. And he wants something, <laughs> most likely. Or he just wants me to hold him. Yeah. And that's what he says. Do not forbid them to do that. And he's saying to you, I do not forbid you to come running to me. <laughs> And sit right in my lap because you are seated in me in heavenly places. So unless you begin to change the way you see, unless you begin to circumcise your heart of unbelief and like we've been talking about, there's an Eden inside of you. There's a garden inside of you. If you don't begin to remove these things from your heart, you will not see yourself positioned fully in Jesus Christ and it will change the way you walk and it will change the way you stand. It will change the way you have faith and it will change the way you pray. And you will struggle 
It's the difference between William Booth saying, stop praying for God to move and become the move of God. It's what I said last week, where we're asking God to send some sovereign revival, wash over our land, Jesus. We need you, God. We need you, God. And then we're angry at someone in the church. We need you, God. And then you have an anger issue and you're all frustrated all the time and you're, ah, and you're jumping all over everybody or you can't even have a relationship with your spouse and all these other things. But God, we need revival. We need revival. No, you need a revival. Revive my heart, oh Lord. Let me see you, God. We're always praying for somebody else to move. You move. I don't want to move yet. You move. Who's going to move first? I'm praying that God moves somebody in this room. Instead of getting up and saying, I need more of you. I need to see my family different. I need to see my friends different. I need to walk righteous. I need to walk holy. And I can't do that unless you revive me, God. Breathe into me. Let me see myself whole in you. See, we talk about we need righteousness in the church. We need judgment in the church. We need justice in the church. We need the church in Jesus before any of that makes sense. Because if we don't have the church in Jesus, all that stuff gets real nasty. It becomes about accusations and it becomes about pricking the heart out of cynicalism, sarcasm, and hurting people and cutting off ears instead of circumcising hearts. It gets nasty. It gets really nasty. Lord, open my eyes to see you, to see I'm holy, I'm blameless, and I'm in front of you. And your love is sustaining me. Your love is sustaining me, Father. Is his love sustaining you right now? Well, how do I know? (laughs) Are you walking in the fruits of the Spirit? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of a suffered wrong. Are you walking? And the fruits of the Spirit. If you're not, you're not, His love is not sustaining you. You're not walking in the Spirit. You're walking in the flesh. Repent. It's that simple. Repent. Well, how do I repent? See yourself seated in Him. See, we're telling the world, you need to repent and know Jesus. Repent to what? Repent to religion? Repent to formulas? We'll start them out in Discipleship 101, and we'll move them into Leadership 301. We'll make a little baseball diamond that you can run around. Get to hit at home base, and there, you're saved. Now run off the Discipleship 101. Let's train you up. You're doing incredible. Now we're going to move you to Leadership 201. Okay, you got it. Now let's go to, now you are an elder and a deacon. And then you get to go straight to heaven when you go to home. I don't know what home plate is. Maybe that's just heaven. I don't know. (laughs) They never told us what home plate was. They only got the third base. I don't know. That's not an innuendo. (laughs) We need to see ourselves seated in him. So you know what? This actually might be a series. Wow, this would be my first series. I don't I don't know what to do with this. We'll, we'll do walking by faith and all that kind of stuff. And I'll pull out the whiteboard the next three weeks. How about that? <laughs> Sharon's like, yeah, whiteboard. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, we, we need revival. But it's God revive us. Make it more personal. God revive me. Make me the gospel. Let me see myself in you. Boy, everything changes when you see yourself in Jesus. 
Like I said, like the song says, everything grows faintly dim in the light of your glory. When you see yourself in him, man, hell can't hold you. Why? Because he can't steal who you are. Devil ain't coming to heaven <laughs> to try to steal you from Jesus when you're seated in him. He doesn't want to be there. That's not his, his stomping ground. No, his stomping ground is when you don't see yourself in him. He's got you right where he wants you right there. Now I'll just come in and I'll fill you with every lie of the world. I'll try to let the world identify you and tell you everything you are. And then I've got you. And then sickness and death and fear and torment will run your life. Because he steals, kills, destroys. But Jesus has an opposite effect. As John says, I pray that you would prosper in life and in health as your soul prospers. The enemy wants to steal your identity. Jesus wants to prosper your heart. Because if your heart prospers, then your health prospers. And everything prospers around you. And you become a tree of life in the middle of chaos and confusion. As you stand there and you shine. Listen, we're not called to just shine in the day. We're called to shine in darkness. You don't see the distinction of light in the day. <laughs> you see it when everything else is dark. <laughs> and then someone, a city's shining. See, we just, we're so afraid of the darkness. I don't want to get the darkness. I don't want to be near the darkness. That's where you're actually called to go into darkness. <laughs> but you're not going to go and walk. See, I'm in the light as he is in the light. He cleanses me of all unrighteousness. Then he gives me a mission. He says, go, go into the world, go into darkness. Do what? Walk worthy of the calling. Okay. So you go out into the darkness and then all of a sudden hell comes. And then what does he say? Stand. On the evil day, stand. When everything comes against you, stand. Stand at what? That I'm worthy and that I'm seated. Is this blessing? I know it's more of a teaching morning, but I'm hoping it just, ah, uh, I'm hoping you get it. <laughs> get it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah. 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 It, it, if you're so, yeah, what, what you have to understand is that the moment you're saved, you're seated. Whether you don't know you're seated, you're still seated. <laughs> you're, you're, you're there. There's a part of you that is there present 24-7. That's your spirit. The problem is, is what tree are you eating from, the spirit or the flesh? Yeah. So you're renewing your mind through the word of God, through seeing yourself seated in heavenly places. So if you're not renewing your mind and saying, oh, no, this is who I am. This is what I'm called to be. You know, I don't know if you, you guys, we, we always did it before, like, tithes and offering, and, and I'll never do it. But, you know, you would have that thing where they would hold up your Bible. This is the word of God. It says, who it, you know, and you would quote it, and I'm the indestructible, incorruptible seed of the living God. <laughs> you know, and it's like, Give me your money <laughs> and like all that kind of stuff. We did it right before tithes and offerings every single debts demolished, bills paid off, royalties received. You know, it, but yeah, that's that's um, yeah, that's the 90s for you, huh? Uh, they're still doing it. They're still doing it. I've been out of that fill for a while now, so I haven't been with that group. <laughs> Confession sheets on, the, on the, the monitors. Repeat this after me. I will be a millionaire. Uh, <laughs> and I will give 10% every single year <laughs> to the church. Um, yeah, we, we, we don't do that. 
When I talk about prospering in life, I'm talking about the fruits of the Spirit are flowing off of your life. I'm not concerned about your wallet. I'm concerned about the fruit. Like, that's what I want. I want to see the fruit of God in your life. And I'm going to sow and sow and sow because I'm not called to sow to get you to give me something. I'm called to sow the incorruptible, indestructible seed of living God inside of you. Not so royalties are received and debts are demolished and all this other stuff, but that you would grow firmly in Jesus Christ and you would mirror him, that your family would be transformed, that your relationships would be transformed as you become a tree of life in a place of destitution. That's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm believing. That's what I'm sowing into right now. So so we're going to go into this more next week and dive deeper under every position. And then we might even just talk about the positions of the church and how that's caused trouble in itself. You know, that's where we see universalism and different things like that. People get so caught up in that they're seated in him, they just don't do anything. <laughs> they just, oh, I'm seated. But there's a false promise. That's a false idea. <laughs> that's not truth. <laughs> because you can't say I'm seated in him and not bear fruit. Why? Because he says, abide in me and I'll abide in you and you will bear much fruit. <laughs> so you can't say, I have people, they're just like, oh my goodness, I'm just seated right at Jesus. Oh, and all they do is, whoa, and roll around on the floor every single Sunday and all this other stuff. And then there's no fruit ever in their life. There's no fruit. They never change. They're like an oak, but the wrong type. They are solidified in the things of this world and they're partaking of the things of this world and they're using inclusion and all things are in Christ to justify substance abuse, to justify drug abuse and all these other things. And they put it under this slimy thing called universalism. All things are in Christ. That's how it becomes grace-centered. And then we never hear faith which is truth. Faith is manifested through truth. I want you to understand, you have to have faith in truth, not faith in a lie. A faith in a lie will not manifest. It will bring chaos and confusion, but it will not manifest anything in your life but that. But faith in truth. Uh, Smith Wigglesworth used to call it this, faith based upon the knowledge of Jesus Christ. My faith is based upon the knowledge, the truth of who Jesus is. So we'll talk about how some people just focus on the truth aspect, the faith aspect, and walking it out. So they just, word of faith, word of faith, word of faith. Well, I want a million dollars today. Lord, I need a million. And that's how they live. I want this car. I want that house. I want that. I want this. And they live their life with this claim it type mentality. And then that becomes its own center. We saw that big time in the 90s and 2000s and different things like that. It was huge. During that, in the 80s, the word of faith, the word of faith. And then, like I said, then we have the standing group. They're apparently, they're the sixth office of the church that just didn't make the cut with Paul and Ephesus. You know, there's pastor, apostle, pastor, teacher, evangelist, prophet, and then there's, well, they, they go a little bit lower. There's a six that's worship leader. And then there's a seventh that's, that's prayer and intercessory. That's, that's the scaling right there. No, prayer and intercessory is not your sole position. Locking yourself in a room and praying 24 hours a day is not what you're called to do. You're called to pray, then react. Pray, react. Pray, react. Prayer and intercession is very much that. It is a conversation. And I've never had a conversation with God that didn't tell me, go, <laughs> do this. If I say, oh, I just talked to God all day. You know what he's usually telling me? Go over here and speak over this person. Go over here. You know, I, I, I felt so bad the other day. I, I, I shouldn't have felt bad, but I, the conviction on my heart, I usually 
the Lord will tell me to go places and things happen. The other day, I, I started to leave my, prop, my house, and I was going to go out this other way down 96, and the Lord said, go, go Horn Tavern. I said, okay. So I'm driving down Horn Tavern, and there's this little valley where there's a creek, and this old couple had backed their car almost in the creek. Their tires were hanging off the, the uh, cold, uh, cauldron there, and this old man in his 70s was trying to push the car as his wife hit the gas. And they were about to just fall right in and destroy their car. So I pull up and I hop out real quick. I said, just give me a second. I crawl under their car. I put a strap in my nice clothes, strap to their car, and I pulled their car out. And, and I just got a second to speak to them. And they were like, oh, my goodness, thank you so much. I, we don't know. And, of course, I've got to ask me for prayer shirt. And I'm just talking to them. We're having a conversation. And then, boom, I get my car, drive off so people can get by. And, um, but the other day I left, uh, my friend Giovanni's house and, and I saw someone stranded on the side of the road, uh, a young African American guy. And the Lord said, go. And I was like, but I've got a, oh, I've got to go meeting. I got a meeting. It's starting. And so I'm, I'm always, it feels like I'm in a rush sometimes trying to get to meeting, to meeting, to meeting. I've got to go all the way. I think I was in Franklin at that day. And so I'm running, trying to get to Franklin as I'm driving off. I feel the Lord say, I told you to turn around and go. And I was like, ah, uh, but I'm going to really be late for my meeting. And I didn't do anything. Usually, that's the opposite. You know, in Florida, we were in Florida, and we, we found this, uh, these, these two girls, they had pulled off into the sand. When you're on Santa Rosa Park, you don't pull off in the sand. And they pulled off in the sand. And they were dug in. I mean, they, it, their car was just sinking. And so I got out of their car, and I tied a strap around their car and pulled their car out. And, you know, it's just, it's just shining wherever you can shine. Sometimes that isn't necessarily what comes out of your mouth as much as what you do. <laughs> Sometimes people find it easier to just say, hey, God loves you, and never do anything. You know? When someone's in trouble and someone needs help, when someone's suffering in a situation, we're called to be light. We're not called to say, hey, God loves you in the middle of that. James says, if you see someone in need, if you see them hungry and they're your enemy, you feed them, you clothe them. Paul talks about it too. You don't say be good with you. Jesus loves you. You deal with the situation and you do it and you shine. And so that's where this can get off balance. And it becomes about faith becomes about what you can get from God instead of what you're called to do for God. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll go deeper. It's, it's one o'clock. Y'all been here. You got a history lesson at the beginning and um, on politics. And then you got, you got the start and the gif of this, the three positions of a believer. So, so, Lord, we just thank you. You're so good. We just honor you right now. We just thank you, Father, for your goodness, your mercy, that we are holy and blameless before you in love. You have a calling for our lives, and that calling is to shine like you, to look like you, to walk like you, to speak like you that an unbelieving world would see Jesus coming out of us. So, Father, we just, we just ask right now that you would just breathe hope and faith and love in us and that you would once again rip the veils off of our hearts. Some of us have felt like the moment we got saved, it was this honeymoon of, of just looking and beholding you and everything felt so new and everything. That can be every single day, but you have to choose to rip the veil.